Hello, good people. I'm excited to share another episode with you. In this episode, I won't have any ads, which, for some reason, is exciting to me. I mean, I don't need the pennies. But if an organization that I find great meaning in wants to sponsor my podcast, I'll consider it. For the time being, it'll be me, myself, and I, looking at words because they all matter. In this episode five, I'll share a sandwich made up of two short prose pieces and a poem in between. They all have to do with blackness. Yep, blackness. That's our word for today. If I could... I'd mail him a card that says, Dear Chadwick Boseman, I'm black. Thank you for everything. Sincerely, Michaela. He wouldn't need to read anything else. He'd get it. For the millionth time, he'd understand, as would every other black face in that cast. It was the first time I'd walked away from a movie feeling so proud, happy, excited to be black. The fact that that matters is sad beyond all the words and time. Wakanda was the dream from which you did not want to wake. I have these sorts of micro moments from time to time. Moments in which I see black bodies on simple yet beautiful displays. Like a few days ago, I went to the post office to buy stamps and chose a particular set of twenty because there was a young black boy in the stamp series contentedly building sand castles. Another time, I picked Maya Angelou stamps because, well, it's Maya Angelou, brilliant and black. I wanted everyone I mailed to see her face. If this doesn't hit you as important, it's because you've mostly seen yourself in good light. Enough to believe you're worthy without question. That's a privilege. Please, share it. Many of us black people carry a sense of responsibility that we shouldn't have to carry. I don't remember who wrote about it, but I remember reading about how while white people get to live for themselves, black people live with their entire race in mind. It drives us to go higher, even when we're tired, and others who don't look like us are using their vacation days to actually go on vacation cultivating family traditions that help their children learn how to also go on vacation. It's this magical word that even transcends economic status. We know it is preferred that we be an example of a good black person, which isn't necessarily a compliment because good sometimes means letting things alone, not questioning norms, not raising our voice. There is another sort of good where we are actually role models to the young ones around us, making sure they get a glimpse of their worth before someone else defines it for them, dumping them into negative categories they don't deserve, created by systemic-ridden stereotypes, curses. 
some of us have a different burden to also be the black person who attempts to open the eyes of those who aren't black. And we'd like to be able to do that without having to prove anything. No, I haven't ever been strip-searched for no good reason, and the last time in a very long time someone called me the N-word was actually via Zoom. Oh, those trolls. No, every waking moment of my life isn't filled with explicit attacks from the Ku Klux Klan. But why does that even matter? Why can't I still be afraid to walk through my neighborhood in the dark? Why does that sound unfounded? Why do I need a lawyer to prove my side of the story? And why do you always need more information? I know the look of discomfort in your eyes. I know that if I want good service, I shouldn't show up in exercise clothes. What's cool for the trendy mother down the street will likely get me profiled. I know how it feels to be complimented for my work because you didn't expect it to be good. You can't mask surprise. I know how it feels when your children won't speak to me, hiding behind you because my skin makes them feel uneasy. Your lack of true black friendships just got you outed. Being a space of peace gets old when the people benefiting won't say hello to me unless spoken to, don't actually want to know how I'm doing, yet will come over just to gush over how beautiful my biracial daughters are. Oh, their skin is perfect. I really want to ask you what that means. Pretty sure only black people called me beautiful when I was a kid. White people probably called me articulate, and still do. And I am, it's true. In part because my parents took the time to speak to me in full sentences, reinforced by my early elementary years, and the language lessons that required me to write an answer using the entire question. The answer was not merely a blue dress. No, in order to earn all the points I had to write, when Mary looked deeper into her closet, she found a blue dress. I also had Dr. Minerva Strayman as the principal of the second elementary school I attended. She asked me to write out the prayer I planned to pray for my eighth grade graduation and meet her in her office beforehand. That afternoon, she had me read it out loud. Then she underlined and highlighted it in such a way that I learned more about cadence and where best to pause or more clearly enunciate. Pieces of my history reveal that I wasn't always held back by educational systems that so often don't seem to have the resources certain schools really need and educational systems that don't plan to get those resources. Not that articulate is a high ideal, but we would all have the opportunity to sound like me if more of you realized that injustice is too deep to just get over.
I do not digress. This all matters. Sometimes I wonder if it's the race weight that kills us after causing our bodies to poison themselves. And you wonder why our prayers are long and the lines of our songs repeat. The key change quickly ushers in an inexplicable joy. We're going higher, together, in harmony. So thank you to all Black people who help the rest of us see ourselves more clearly, even if, for only two hours and fifteen minutes, in a made-up land where we are all queens, and kings, and undefeated. Not a eulogy. I can't unsee, so I will not look, the body, the force, the falsified book, another story skewed by thoughts of what could be, but what was not. I can't unhear, so I will not turn on the yells, the shots, and learn for myself. I'll trust my friends. He wasn't guilty enough to die like pens. Unnecessarily discarded because the color's wrong. Purposefully mistreated because the song has long been stacked with lyrics that speak of myths, of low worth, no worth, but really cool kicks. I can't bring back, but I can speak. I cannot fix, but I can weep. And yes, I knew that bad would cook, but I didn't know how bad bad could look. So I'm still surprised when I wipe dry eyes, because I save my tears like I stifle fears, that we're still so ugly and so blind. Come again, come again, I don't need to know why. Sing the song of the dead, not the trigger this time. Sing the song of the dead, not the trigger this time. It was somewhere between 2011 and 2013. I know this because I was married, but I didn't yet have children so it was easy to agree to middle-of-the-day activities. I served as an elder in my church and volunteered, along with another elder, to take communion to someone who couldn't attend our worship services. The other elder was a Ph.D. student. I was a campus minister. We met on campus and carpooled, portable communion set in tow. As soon as we arrived, we let her know why we were there. We've brought communion. We were excited, grateful to share in this way. We'd verified the time and day beforehand, and yet it seemed as if she wasn't expecting us and wasn't that thrilled to see us. It was weird. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but odd things happen all the time. You just keep moving. The student was far more verbal than I, and he quickly engaged her in conversation about other things. I chimed in here and there. She mostly looked at him, engaged with him. Yeah, it was weird. 
but we said we'd go and we were there, and if she didn't want communion, at least we could have a great visit. She was in her mid or late eighties. She talked a bit about her husband, about how the neighborhood they had lived in was right about... She was in her mid or late eighties. She talked a bit about her husband, about how the neighborhood they had lived in was right beside a golf course. The area had changed a lot since then, she said. Her memory lane trip seemed to be a good thing for her spirits. Truly, she livened up a bit, and maybe it was during that time that we offered once again to share in communion. Once again, she declined. As she talked about the golf course, her husband, and their former home, she casually mentioned that there was a colored caddy. Light bulbs flashed in my head. Oh, that's it, I thought. The caddy she spoke of was not a storage container. Oh, no. She was talking about a man who carried the golf player's bags and clubs. The man was colored. He was my color. She didn't say anything bad about him. In fact, everything she recounted was as pleasant as the sunshine that gently brightened her room. It didn't matter, though. Pleasant wasn't enough to shield me from the truth. While she was comfortable with a colored person carrying bags and clubs, she wasn't at all comfortable with this colored person serving her bread and grape juice. In her mind, we were not all equal before God. There was still a level of slave and free. I wasn't free to do spiritual care. I wasn't free to officiate this humbling ritual. I was only free to be there because she didn't know in advance that someone with my color would show up. Maybe I could have left my fellow elder alone with her, stepped outside for a while so that he could attempt communion one last time. After all, she had requested it. Leaving the room didn't even come up in my brain. And if I could do it all over again, I'm not even sure what that right thing would be. It definitely didn't seem appropriate to say, actually... Ma'am, we go by black now. To offer up any correction would have clearly been a misuse of time. The chances of changing her mind didn't seem possible then, nor does it seem possible now. I share this story because when we talk about racism or racially driven problems, We so often look for evidence of the problem in very explicit moments. The reality is that there are more stories like this one, and these stories are every day. Realizing that someone who is white, or not black, doesn't like what they see, doesn't respect who they see, is deeply uncomfortable with my presence, unless I'm serving them food or carrying their bags. What has been constant for most of my life is not being seen by someone who does not look like me, and the awful ripple effects 
of another's learned discomfort. This is a racially driven problem that's extremely difficult to confront, especially when we insist on not seeing each other as we are. I want you to see my skin. I want you to see my features. I want you to see my hair. I want you to be able to tell me apart from my younger sister. I want you to see me as equal, as worthy, as gifted, as smart. I want you to see me as able and as someone you should respect. I want you to see me not as the good black or the articulate black or whatever terms you implicitly or even explicitly use. I want you to see me as intrinsically valuable without having to quote a Bible verse to try to prove it. I want you to see me. To see me. Me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing some of your time with me. And thank you for valuing words. If you would like to share a word with me, a word that means something to you right now, it may have a positive meaning, it may have a negative one. You may be confused about it. You may have absolute clarity. Just write to me 100 words about that word. Send your words to wordhabit at gmail.com. That's wordhabit at gmail.com. This is Michaela. This space is Word Habit, where all the words matter.